0: Welcome, everyone, back to another episode of Mission Daily. I'm your host, Chad Grills. I'm coming to you 9 a.m. from Mission Control, which happens to be a garage, converted studio here in Palo Alto. We're in the midst of quarantine. It's real out there. There's good news in the air. There's a lot of good news, actually. So maybe you didn't hear, but Apple opened up their stores in China, I guess, almost two weeks ago now. It's a bit tricky with all the different data coming out, who to trust, who to believe, which which nation state's telling you the truth, which one isn't. But the World Health Organization, Apple and others are listening and uh, they're taking the leap there in China to get back to work. It can be scary sometimes thinking about like, oh, should we trust this person? Should we trust that person? And you have to look at what groups and large institutions are trusting for you and take some of their social credibility to heart and let them, the folks that did the research, kind of uh, take care of that research for you. So it's early. You can hear it in my voice. I've uh, been up all night with twin, twin boys that are recently arrived here. My other son, he's up, he's kicking, He's uh, he's doing a lot. We are still working around the clock here at Mission, putting out original content all day, every day. And yeah, we're pumping. So maybe you've seen some of our other podcasts. I think we're up to 10 or 11 now. Uh, we're, we have some of our own podcasts out there, which is compromises the far majority of them. And we have some white label podcasts as well for clients. So if you're a business and you're interested in getting an amazing custom podcast sponsorship or your own custom podcast or an original video series, reach out. We'd love to connect with you. You can email me, and you can reach out to the team, check out mission.org studios. That is our bread and butter, and it allows us to continue on our crazy mission, which is mediating voluntary human evolution. One of the ways we do that, you know, is by spreading good news. So let's get back into it. In Sweden, there's been no lockdown. There has been no aggressive testing, and the number of new deaths on March 30th were five. And that's down from a high of 28. Now, remember earlier, we talked uh, about Dr. Michael Levitt, who is a biophysicist at Stanford University. Back in January, Dr. Levitt noticed that the rate of new infections compared to the general populace, the total amount of people that could be infected or exposed to the virus was dwindling. In addition to the death rate in several places starting to fall. You know, anytime we're talking about The loss of human life, we have to remember, it is a tragedy. However, there's room for hope. And there's room for hope because the number of deaths is dropping in a number of different places. And it appears that the virus has a three to four month uh, run where it can be particularly aggressive and after which with social distancing, good hygiene and all around good sense, it can be snuffed out. Folks are back to work in China and they're starting to get help abroad all over the place. There's about 20 different companies. They're in trials for vaccines and drugs. Johnson & Johnson had a breakthrough. They're obviously going to be moving a little bit slower because they're larger and they're putting uh, a drug, I guess, in clinical trials. The FDA has some promising news where they're looking to expedite clinical trials. And just think about the ripple effects from this with the FDA starting to speed up their drug development pipeline. And if it's possible now, it's possible after the crisis. This is going to have immense effects for how we do things in the world and how we accomplish big projects and get new drugs to market. There are also some doctors. We're not ready to to break this yet. We still need to do a bit more diligence to uh, to confirm it. Um, But there's an interesting doctor out of New York who is created his own stack for treatment. And supposedly he, and some some sources have vetted him. I don't think it's it's 100% ready to share yet, but he's created his own stack of treatment that he's administered to supposedly around 700 patients, none of whom have died. And the treatment stack is generally very affordable. And some of this stack has been confirmed by a number of different people, maybe you've heard of, uh, hydrochloroquine. I think that's it. But the Novaritis CEO says that the studies in animals, uh, using this just kills the virus. So this is really promising stuff and we need to reduce that global death toll. So if you hear somebody spreading doom and gloom today, remember there are a lot of people that are just not listening to this heads down and, you know, in the trenches or in the, uh, in the midst of the pandemic that are just doing work. Also, yesterday in the United States, the number of new deaths and number of new cases is down from the day before. There is no more exponential growth. This is incredibly incredibly uh promising. There's a lot of really smart folks that think April 15th is going to be the peak of this and from there it should stabilize and get better much more quickly. That is some good news out there from the pandemic. So what else, what other good news is going on? You know, this morning I got up, it was t- I was tired, <laughs> like I mentioned, and a lot, a lot is on my mind. You know, the stuff I started to share yesterday, the effects of that and uh, getting well and being in the MDMA-assisted psychotherapy protocol that mirrors the MAP studies uh, for PTSD has been eye-opening. Uh, it's been mind expanding in just all kinds of ways that I didn't know were possible up until now. And again, this is not proselytizing for any uh, drug or specific path. This is just sharing my story. And for me, it's been transformative in, like I was saying, just very, very strange ways where it feels like you're being reborn and. Indeed, you are, because you're getting access to your brain for the first time. You're getting access to trust and this concept that the world and the universe are a much, much more friendly place than we've led to believe and then that the media uh, wants us to believe. There are a lot of people who profit by fear, and then there are a much smaller number of people who profit by hope. Or strategies for optimism and spreading good news and spreading ways to do more with less, which is a broad definition of technology. And when we think about technology and media in the broadest sense, you know, we are the most sophisticated pieces of technology and media uh, creators in the known universe, each of us. And when each of us can start to really embrace this power and realize that you know your biology is not weak your biology and your body is immensely strong it's your genetics have been through god knows how many pandemics god knows how many diseases and viruses that you don't even see because you haven't succumbed to your genetics are so strong that they have survived as long as they have you can map out your genealogy if you want But you are a survivor at the end of the day. You, your family, your tribe, the people you are holed up with in quarantine, you are all survivors just by nature of being here. There was a long, long, long road before that got us here. It was traumatic. It was rough. But now that we are here, don't dare take for granted how sophisticated and how beautiful and how wonderfully made you are. So this morning I was pressed for time and I have been getting into a little bit of a stretching, yoga, free movement type routine each morning. And I'm breaking out of the the chrysalis of I guess the gym routine might be a good way of uh, describing it, where I used to go to the gym quite a bit. However, it it was always something that I I liked. You know, I love working out but there was something missing about it, right? There was something that was that felt artificial and just hyper-tracked where, you know, you're going to these different stations and getting different weights and it's the same thing every single time. And that's just a good reminder that you need to spice up your routine. You need to get out of habits sometimes. There's so much content online about habits and how you need to get your habits going. And sometimes you do, sometimes you need... An anchor in your day to uh, get your day started. And you need to have some familiar things to help you ease into the day. But the longer I live, the longer I see similarities between good habits and the people that develop them and complete addicts. Now, this might be into dangerous territory, but arguably, you know, from my point of view, humans are just addicts. We're all addicts and we addict to all kinds of different behaviors and substances and they become a part of our daily routine for better or for worse. And it can be difficult to shake this up, but when you start to shake things up and go from that tracked approach to a free movement type of approach where you're breathing and you're in your body and you're not worried like you are at the gym about who's watching, about how you look, about how you come across, that's where magic can happen. That's where ideas that you didn't know you had and a person that you didn't know you could become starts to emerge. Not all at once, right? But that's where you can start to see glimmers of who you might be in the, the absence of the critiques and the, what you should do and what has been laid out for you to do at places like the gym. That's where you can start to embrace the wisdom of your own body by moving and seeing how different stretches feel. It's so great to be in a yoga class or take a dance class or something like that and, uh, you know, get outside your comfort zone, get moving a bit, get the blood pumping. But what's even better, I've found, is free movement and starting to follow your breath and just do what feels good to your body? Oftentimes, you'll find yourself working into a problem area that you've had, whether it's you know tightness in your neck or your back. And uh, just this morning was a perfect example. I'd had just a lot of shoulder pain, a lot of back pain from laying on my side, trying to <laughs> trying to feed slash keep the uh, the boys comfortable and the, tw- the twins from crying, holding them in you know a certain way, and it was doing a number on my shoulder and back. And through the stretching, I was able to find this kind of uh, on my tiptoes type uh, stretch where, you know, it's not a yoga move. It doesn't have a name, but I just got into this groove where I just, you know, busted out 50, 60 of them. And I started to feel much better. It's a new move. In a sense, it's it's like art. You're creating something brand new and you're creating it for you. You're creating it for your specific situation that you're at that day in psychotherapy and in the the journey and the road I'm on there's this concept called the inner healer and it's the best way that doctors and psychologists and psychiatrists who have been working with what they would call and I would call real medicine name this voice and this presence that we all have in our bodies that can come online through correct therapy and treatments, and that is the inner healer. And they refer to this, this voice and this presence and this knowing uh, and this intuition as the inner healer because people generally start healing themselves when they get the right therapy and the right treatment, the right mediation to their challenges. And they found this time and time again. I couldn't help but notice as I was going through that practice today how that's becoming true in my own life. The old uh, voice of the accuser, the doubter, the cynic guilt, which is, you know, basically just society's voice and the voice of uh, elders who might have been mad at you or been having a bad day, really amplified into your head when you were young. All of those voices are starting to quiet down now. and I have distance from them. With that distance, comes a new still small voice intuition and a knowing and i'm just now getting to know that voice and it can be so hard to face right I've, I've been through just sobbing um every day you know to be honest there has been so much that's been bottled up and the pain of being away from this this presence and uh, away from my body and, you know, numbing that through, uh, addictions that I was, you know, using to cope is, uh, it's, it's hard to face. It's really, really hard to face. However, I'm not alone in this, this journey, right? You know, I'm human, therefore nothing human is, is unknown to me. And, and you are too. Pushing through this, that place of the inner critic, and getting some distance from all of those voices, it's not just a life changer, it's a world changer, and it impacts everyone around you. And so the good news today is to breathe and follow your breath and move, you know, move in a way where you don't care if others are watching, you know, (laughs) Uh, memories of uh, a bunch of cliche uh, college-type quotes, spring to my mind here but just move right follow your breath make sure you have super friends in your life that value your life that want you to be the best person you can be that want you to get access to this inner healer that aren't afraid of it that aren't uh, worried that oh god this inner healer is going to take you away from me that don't you know that aren't super jealous you have to find super friends like that And speaking of super friends like that, we have a super friend coming on to the mission today, and I'm very excited for that. So yeah, we have a super friend coming on. If you didn't catch up with us yesterday, you'll hear that we are embracing this whole new format for Mission Daily and couldn't be more excited to kick it off with good news, super friends, and a daily mission every day for you to accomplish in the real world to get some momentum and to generally transform your life and take it from wherever you're at right now whether it's hell purgatory or heaven you know make it more heavenly and not not in the bible thumping way but in that way that's the the here and now and just make it more beautiful you got the war drums going on from the media out there that wants you frightened and afraid and the daily mission is about taking that fear and just crushing it. The whole false evidence appearing real could not be more true. So when you go out there today, when you're moving, take some time to do it alone. Take some time to do it where you're not being observed, where you're not being monitored, where you can just move and start to explore what feels good and what makes you get that energy and start to get that feeling of I'm not only good but I'm doing something that is unique and almost you know a form of artistic expression like we talked about earlier that's the type of free movement that can get you in touch with that inner healer so for everyone listening our super friend today is Adam Fisher and Adam's been a guest of the show on before but for those that don't know, Adam is our, let's just call it, you know, source and connection to the Silicon Valley underground. Adam, is that fair to say?
1: Yeah, that's, uh, that's who I like. Uh, I like the best is the, the, real, the real fringe is the real underground because they tend to have the most radical ideas, which sometimes, sometimes not just roar out of nowhere and, and, and capture the public imagination. So yeah, I like to be first with the interviews of those guys. And I also just like
0: them as people, you know? Yeah. And you've, I mean, you've chronicled a lot of this. So like, this isn't just like an amateurish hobby. This is uh, the type of pursuit that leads you to get 10 million transcribed words from interviews and compile them into the tomb I'm holding Valley of Genius, which is your first book. That's awesome. Um, when you were first starting to get into this scene, Adam, you know, did, did it feel like a scene or did it just feel like a counterculture movement? Uh, did it feel like a, the new counterculture that, you know, was emerging post sixties and, and uh, you know, late seventies, um, what was the, what were the early origins of the Silicon Valley underground like?
1: Well, I mean, basically the Silicon Valley is, is Silicon Valley because of this confluence of the two kind of major cultures that are perhaps subcultures in in the Bay Area. One is the hippie subculture, which kind of everybody knows about, but it's it's um, just part of a larger kind of cultural strand in Bay Area history that, that, you know, San Francisco's a young kind of city and it was always on the fringes of the known world. And I always had kind of a free thinking mindset, but typical of port cities um, where there's lots of new ideas coming along with the new people. And then there's a, this other culture, which I think everybody is now aware of, the technical culture, you know, radiating out of kind of the great universities here, Stanford, but also Berkeley and even, even some of the state schools. You know, uh, and, the, and the great kind of mystery for the historians or the big thinkers is, you know, why Silicon Valley? Why why not Boston? Why not Texas? Those are, you know, also uh, hotbeds of computer design and programming. Texas Instruments was an early calculator maker, and all the calculators were coming out of Texas. And then, of course, the, the Northeast, where you've got MIT, but you also have um, IBM's headquarters, and Bell Labs is up there in the Northeast, and a lot of the mini computer makers as well as the early mainframe makers were out of there. So why Silicon Valley? And, and I think my thesis and the emerging consensus is there's a lot of reasons, but one of the main reasons is because only in the Bay Area, do you have this Kind of crossing of the what I'll just call the counterculture and the technical culture, and then you get the technical know-how and the wizardry, plus the free thinkers who feel empowered just to do their own thing, um, and and that's and that's where the in- innovation comes from, and the money follows the innovation, and then the power follows that, and that's why Silicon Valley is so dominant today.
0: Yeah. With all its uh, warts and faults or bugs, the, you know, the more I get close to the bugs or those proverbial bugs that the outside culture or media might uh, label Silicon Valley as having, the more I start to see them as features. And there's certainly some bugs uh, that are very challenging out here, whether it's uh, housing costs or things like that, but it's, and it's so hard to even talk about this stuff, but those pressures are really breed a type of ingenuity and um, really a, like a spirit of rebellion and uh, toughness right and grit that want to solve these challenges and thankfully, there are so many great people that are working to solve them. However, when I got out here, it wasn't just a little cultural shock it was uh, it was a lot of culture shock and I uh, quickly got involved in. The fringes, which to me, it didn't feel like the fringes. It just felt like I was following the thread of uh, what I was interested in. And I just quickly discovered how much more there was to explore in the world and how many people out here just were not like anyone I had ever met in in D.C. And there, I had caricatures of many of these people in my head, folks that I had read about or knew about or kind of like admired. However, these caricatures were exposed as such when I got to meet some of them and get involved in these worlds. And when we say like Silicon Valley, like underground, you know, it can seem a little bit dark or uh, sketchy or scary. And indeed, <laughs> parts of it are. However, a lot of these uh, these areas and uh, folks and circles are um, bright. I would just describe them as some of the most welcoming environments that I've ever experienced, in terms like of not feeling any judgment, and indeed there not being any judgment, because that is what suppresses the emergence of uh, new ideas or new memes that are gonna spread and kind of capture the the collective imagination. So I don't know what you uh, what you want to make of that long winded nowhere at, but yeah.
1: <laughs> well, I'm glad you're finding that. Um, I'm I'm of course didn't come to Silicon Valley. I'm a native of Silicon Valley. So I kind of grew up in the culture. So of course I like it. Of course I find it welcoming. Like, I'm, you know, I, I grew up here. You know, my thesis is, you know, given your experience and my sense and other people's experience, is that really Silicon Valley is deeply misunderstood. You know, I'm also kind of a card-carrying member of the media elite. I worked for top magazines for a long time, including Wired, but also including New York magazine. And I did, you know, 20 years in the Manhattan media scene. By the end of that, I was just used to being kind of the butt of the joke because, you know, California is where the flakes are, right? Mm -hmm. And we don't really take them seriously because, you know, what have they done? You know, that was always the attitude. Um, it was always a little skeptical. It was always, um, you know, a little dismissive, a little condescending, you know, maybe, maybe not too much, but that under undercurrent was there. And of course, that all changed uh, with the rise of social media, um, social media as, as, and Innovative forms like, hey, podcasts, have pretty much trounced the traditional media and the marketplace. It certainly has lowered not just the status, but the incomes of almost every journalist out there. And suddenly, the media couldn't just dismiss Silicon Valley anymore and went in for a much more critical take. I think uh, a lot of that criticism is justified. There's a lot of things, as you said, to criticize about the new, not just the new media landscape, but um, the kind of new technological regime we find ourselves in and and power always needs to be examined carefully. But uh, I do think we got to kind of a, a hater type of attitude. Where everything that came out of Silicon Valley, you know, Northern California, now, now we weren't just now it wasn't flakes. They were just all everybody was just a dangerous criminal or quasi criminal out to greedy, you know, strip, you know, driven by greed and power. And (laughs) well, you know, some of that is undoubtedly true, but um, what I saw was like a kind of a, a weird dark mirror to kind of Manhattan, the the obsessions that I saw in Manhattan, uh, you know, an obsession with money, power, and frankly, status. And so it was really more of an illusion than anything else. Um, Now, I think similarly, there was always the search for the real, you know, the king of Silicon Valley. For a while, it was you know, Steve Jobs, when Silicon Valley could do no wrong. And then and then it, it became like the evil, the dark king, the dark prince of Silicon Valley. That's Peter Thiel. And, you know, just a rotating cast of evil characters. I mean, and it's, it's not just the media that was doing this. Trump was doing this, too, um, when he's kind of going after Bezos and threatening kind of Google. Um, Bezos, of course, is not exactly silicon valley but still the point it's these west coast uh new west coast new money elites basically that's that's being attacked and and even in that i saw manhattan and manhattan-bred people like trump really looking for something that really didn't exist in silicon valley but did exist in manhattan manhattan is literally a spoken hub kind of thing everybody goes into the one or two or really three power centers in manhattan and then goes out and it was it's very hierarchical at least in, in in american terms whereas silicon valley itself there is no king of silicon valley because it's it's not a hub in spoke kind of system it is a network system you know they created the The greatest invention of Silicon Valley, perhaps, is the internet, and it was invented in its own image, like little pieces loosely joined, right? Mm -hmm. So, again, a total misperception to even try to figure out who the, the king of Silicon Valley is or the evil genius in Silicon Valley is, is wrong. There's many (laughs) <laughs> and they all interact in, in a regular, in a fairly egalitarian uh, way. Um, at least the elite does. So again, more misperceptions of what Silicon Valley really is. And another thing, you know, uh, and I and I'm glad this is true. They kind of ignore the fringes because uh, the fringes are, are, you know, run run on ideas. Right and uh, Manhattan media world is not so interested in ideas. They're really interested in power and money. So, so I get I get the I get the most interesting part of uh, Silicon Valley to myself, which I am thankful for. Um, finally, I'll say I think the pendulum is swinging back. Like here we are in the middle of this, you know, the worst crisis in the last fifty years, and. The reason we can function, those of us who can still work, the reason we can still work is because of things Silicon Valley built, okay? And it is, you know, almost single-handedly holding up kind of civilization in the economy right now. And I think people are coming around to it. So, you know, these things go in cycles and here we are, you know, the tech lash is, is is ended because, you know, we've got bigger problems to worry
0: about. Yeah. And I think culturally in America, the public perception of technology is shifting from entertainment medium or media to utility or um, the broader definition of technology to do more with less rapidly. And it's like, it's happening all around us right now. And this is, this creates a lot of interesting opportunities, but the projection that you talked about kind of coming out of Manhattan and that Manhattan elites wanted to foist or project project onto Silicon Valley folks who had been successful. I think that's going to be just a strategy or something that fades over coming years. Now, I mean, we might see some spikes in this when I I think I'm super bullish on California. There's still a lot of people that are negative on the state. And I think we might see a spike in this type of projection uh, as California recovers uh, because with all of its faults, it's still a state that is uh, very ripe, just geographically and then spatially. How big it is, naturally, uh, how beautiful it is, how how many interesting things there are. There's a uh, you know twenty one billion dollars in government surplus that they did have on hand for this crisis. Hopefully, it doesn't all get spent, and then some. You know, hopefully, it's allocated in the best way possible. So I don't know. It just feels like. California is still on the precipice of this, uh, you know, evolution, and the only impediment is just like this cost of housing, and these are such big issues that so many people are working at the fringes to solve or attack, or you know, whether they're working on new media or whatever. That I still think that the the big innovations that emerge in the aftermath of this crisis and and recovery, they're going to come from California. There's a you know a fury of collaboration and communication and people thinking about things in just all new ways and it's great that it's happening all around the country. However, yeah, I'm still super long on California. What are what are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, I I of course I'm super long on California too. And full disclosure, you know, I own a house in the Bay Area. (laughs) (laughs) That's my net worth right there. Uh, So so this is, uh, you know, take all this with a grain of salt because I'm I'm really, it may be wishful thinking that I'm not aware of. But um, when I do think about it and try to be critical, I think, yeah, California will be the first to recover from what looks is going to be a recession, a long recession or maybe a great kind of depression 2.0 because California has, well, you know, the technology infrastructure that everybody's flocking to now, uh, California makes all the entertainment that everybody's streaming now. Um, California, you know, has the pot delivery business, that's <laughs> seems to be booming, uh, at least in my Marin neighborhood. Um, yeah. It has a lot of rich people here already who are uh, willing to invest to, to get in charitable and, and give away even money to, to get this place back up.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The philanthropy here is uh, whether you know, it's angel investing or uh, just the act of buying a super overpriced home or <laughs> you wanna, however <laughs> you want to describe it.
1: Giving away 99% of your wealth if you're one of the richest people in the world. So, yeah, I have no doubt that it will come back um, or come back first. So in relative terms, we're going to be better off. We're going to be even better than we were because in relative terms, I think we'll be richer than the rest of the country and certainly a a lot of the
0: rest of the world. And that's where the opportunity to serve in an augmented way, I think, comes in. And that's what is... uh, I think really, really exciting. Like you know, we're not. I, I'm actually, I'm super long on America as a whole, and just you know, I think all the states are these microcosms of experimentation, and we we have a lot, a lot going for us still. That is, uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with how other states kind of you know fit into their own uniqueness and uh, start working to uh, to serve and to help. Because yeah, I think America will be the first country that recovers in mass. And uh, there's going to be a lot of other folks out there that are hurting and that need our help.
1: Well, uh, yeah. Although the Asian countries are already recovering, and I think you it's know true. the uh, totalitarianism is um, is an asset when it comes to these particular kinds of public health crises. Uh, I say that with total regret because um, I'm ideologically welded to wedded to the ideas uh, embodied in the Constitution you know freedom of expression freedom of movement a bias towards against the state's surveillance mm. machine as just a you know a prophylactic against state oppression and to- totalitarianism itself so it will be interesting to see the debates that come out of, um, this. And, and I am cringing at the very thought of people, especially people who are in developing countries who are trying to decide between the American, you know, Western model and say the, the Chinese model of kind of, you know, managed capitalism within a kind of autocratic framework. Um, I hope that, um, you know, the relatively quick recovery of the Asian countries is not going to affect decision-makings in those countries about what path to choose. But I'm sure it will. Um, The question is, for how long? And I think, you know, the the technology, at least the the mathematical theoretical basis for doing totally anonymous mass surveillance so that you can do contact tracing and preserve uh, freedoms is is um, is well established. I mean, it's, it's cryptography. It's it's what, what essentially the same math that powers Bitcoin. So um, I would hope that Google and Apple are the you know the smarter people there are thinking about how to build this right now and maybe even building it.
0: I think they are. I was talking to a researcher from uh, Microsoft's blockchain uh, division, and uh, yeah, I think the the folks there are ideologically welded to a lot of the similar concepts that you described uh, especially in the hardcore engineering domains yeah i have found uh, that many of them many of them are
1: oh yeah i just i was just listening well um do you know about the cypherpunks uh no so cypherpunks um the first um great stories in Wired. It may have been in the second magazine. The first or second issue was about the cypherpunks. Sure. And that was, um, you know, that's a takeoff on the word cyberpunk, which was like the cool science fiction genre in the 90s that kind of predicted online everything. But the cypherpunks were these kind of crypto and encryption scientists kind of turned advocates who realized that what they what they had created their their cryptography that they had created you know could be used to kind of promote privacy. So, for example, they said, "What if you could give uh, your driver's license to the cop who pulled you over, and the only thing that they could figure out that to to check you hmm. because of the way everything is encrypted?" the the cop would only know whether you were licensed to drive or not would not know anything else about you right and this is this is kind of an application of public cryptography okay so you know if you had a subpoena or you know reasonable suspicion to ask a specific question you could you could essentially query a database and get the answer without revealing any other information sure so if you could apply the same principle to kind of contact tracing, right? Let's say you came down with, you know, you're infected by the coronavirus. The contract tracer comes to you and said, hey, we want to just see all your um, your total history of where you travel because of your phone. Um, But I would be more comfortable with turning that over if there was a scheme in place that Only the data that is truly valuable was was given to the authorities. Or maybe it's even, you know, uh, you could see a typhoid Mary situation um, where you have to subpoena the person because, um, you know, typhoid Mary was basically deliberately spreading typhoid because she was a carrier. And you could you could see you could take this information without really you know, you could have that balance between privacy and contact tracing with this
0: technology. Yeah, that's really interesting. And that uh the type of middle way is uh you know, always a always a good strategy.
1: Yeah. And so that whole the whole cypherpunk thing was essentially squashed um by nine eleven hmm. by the way, which is why we haven't heard heard about it for, you know, twenty years, twenty five years. Wow. But I think uh, I think these ideas are going to come back because we're going to soon find yourself in a debate like, well, how much information should the health public health authorities have about us? Should they have everything like they have in China? Yeah, and I I think the answer is going to be no, especially if there's a technical solution that's already kind of been invented. I mean, it hasn't been implemented, but the math has been invented to to be able to balance that. So if we quickly, if Silicon Valley is able to quickly build these kind of tools and prove that they work, you know, maybe we won't be in a situation where these, the developing worlds, which are are, are now choosing a path, say, say yes to authoritarianism. And-
0: right. Because if we get easier options out there, um, that's what's going to get copied. Yeah, copy the yeah, quickest. I don't know if
1: it's an easier option. I think totalitarianism is the easier
0: option,
1: but it's a more sophisticated. It's an option that preserves, you know, preserves both freedom and safety.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, yeah, preserving freedom and safety—that's uh, the path that we want to take, even if it's more difficult initially. Yeah. I don't want an either-or or world, like either. Oh or, no, you know. No, yeah, anytime you think it's either or, it's uh, a yeah, fallacy. There's typically many, many options that we do not see, which brings us to the final segment of the show. Adam, the final segment is the daily mission. And the daily mission that I would offer to everyone listening out there is to publicly acknowledge someone in your life that has helped you keep or save or maybe reinvent your own life. So, would like to publicly acknowledge you, sir. Uh, thanks for being there when I was in a very, very dark place. And uh, yeah, I uh, acknowledge you. Thanks, man. You're welcome. And yeah, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for being the, uh, the this first uh, super friend that we've had on Mission Daily. And that is uh, it's a no small, no small accolade. So the super friend's uh, title belt will be in the mail and uh-huh. you can protect your title However you see fit.
1: Hey, thanks. And I'm going to go, uh, I'm gonna go in <laughs> implement my daily mission. That's a,
0: that's a great one. Thank you. Awesome. All right. Talk to you soon, Adam. Bye-bye. Later. All right. For everyone listening, thanks so much. It's been a blast to get into this new format. A little bit slow. Thanks for bearing with us as we find our footing. I am so glad to have you here. So glad that you joined us. And remember, whether you're implementing some of the good news or maybe some of the stuff you're looking into it more that Adam was sharing, or you're getting into your daily mission today, have hope, have faith. It is a bright world out there and humanity is on the rise. And no matter where you fall, if you're bullish on America, if you're not, it doesn't really matter. We're on a mission to save the world and mediate voluntary human evolution and flourishing. So when you subscribe to Mission Daily, you'll join us on that mission smash the subscribe button, get our daily newsletter at mission.org. And if you're a business and you want a custom podcast or an original video series, if you want original content that is mission driven to the core, get at us at mission.org slash studios or email me chad at mission.org. Love you all. Take care. Talk soon.